0: Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. All right, welcome back to the show. Joining me now, he's the author of a book called Circus Maximus, The Economic Gamble Behind Hosting the Olympics and the World Cup. His name is Andrew Zimbalist here to join me. Hey, Andrew. Good morning. Hey, so uh, yeah, as the Winter Olympics are obviously going on, all sorts of coverage about it. uh, I got to ask you, it's in the title, the idea of it being a gamble to host the Olympics. Why is that?
1: Yeah, it's certainly a gamble, it's usually a bad gamble. Um, Well, so basically what happens is that you have one organization, the International Olympic Committee, that goes out every two years and calls for the world cities to bid against each other to convince the IOC that that your city is the most worthy to honor the the International Olympic Movement. And so what, what cities do is they bid against each other, and the IOC traditionally takes that city that has... Provided the most luxurious and fantastic set of set of venues and transportation networks and so on and so forth, and so what happened is, uh, along with the, the the gradual expansion and the size of the Olympics over time, is that the the bidding numbers have gone higher and higher and higher, and the final costs, which almost always outrun the bids by two or three times, that is to say you have massive cost overruns, you end up spending 15 to $20 billion for a typical Summer Olympics and, and between 10 and $15 billion for a typical Winter Olympics. And the amount of revenue that you get from direct revenue from from the your share of the television and sponsorships and tickets as the host city, is about two and a half billion dollars. If it's the Winter Olympics, about four or five billion dollars. If it's the Summer Olympics, and so you have you have a, a deficit, you have a budgetary hole um, that. The IOC would argue that that will get filled because you'll have exposed yourself internationally to a billion television sets and, and the families that live in the homes, and therefore you'll become a popular tourist destination and, and business people around the world will want to trade with you and invest in your city. And those are all nice-sounding thoughts, but the reality, unfortunately, is that it doesn't play out that way. And that there's there's very little boost, if any, to, to tourism and, and uh, foreign investment and foreign trade.
0: So if that's the case, and all these cities are continuously bidding and offering, and like you said, it's not even just money, it's all of the uh, transit and all the other nice perks you're throwing out there, what is it that convinces them all to keep bidding and keep going up and up? Well, two things. First of all, what's, what's
1: happened over the last 10 years is that fewer and fewer cities are bidding. They've caught on to the game. Uh, They they have citizens who are saying this doesn't make sense, and so the politicians have to listen to that. Uh, for, For the 2024 Summer Olympics, you initially had six different cities involved in the competition, and four of them, including Boston, dropped out. Uh, and so at the end of the day, you just had two cities left bidding. For the 2022 Winter Olympics, once again, you had uh, you had Beijing and Almaty, Kazakhstan, the only final two bidders. Starting out, there were four additional European cities, and they all dropped out. Uh, so the IOC clearly is in trouble. The, the, the model has extended itself too far, and the IOC needs to start making making amends. Now, that's part of the answer. The other part of the answer is, why have cities historically been bidding, and I think A a good part of the explanation is that, really, it's not cities themselves that are bidding. It's a private organization that's called the the Organization for Organizing the Olympic Games, or they call it an OCOG, O-C-O-G, and those... Most private organizations are usually dominated by local business interests that will benefit from the game. So you get construction industry executives pushing these committees. Construction industry obviously will be a big beneficiary. If you're going to all of a sudden your your city is going to have 15 or 20 billion dollars of construction contracts, you better be sure that the construction executives want to want a part of that. So they can line up also the construction unions, uh, the, the construction sector in a local. Urban economy usually is the largest sector, so they have some political power, and they can usually bring on board some people from the investment banking community who are going to float the bond bonds or who are going to issue the bonds. They can usually bring on, on board some major law firms. Sometimes they might get architectural firms or a couple of hospitality interests, and they assemble a coalition of fairly powerful business interests that go to the politicians and say, hey, we want this, and the politicians uh, dutifully bow and say, okay, we'll go get it for you.
0: So, if that's the case, that a lot of the uh, appeal then is cities that really don't have the infrastructure to start. Is that why, like, the, the Sochi Olympics happened there because it was a disaster?
1: Yes. Well, so what? What? That there's another long story behind your question, and basically, what happened is that uh, a bunch of emerging countries um, that were called BRICS. B-R-I-C-S um, that include Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, that's where BRICS comes from, Uh, they thought that uh, they wanted to come onto the world stage and announce to the world that they were now major industrial powers and that they would be able to do that and get that PR benefit by hosting the games. And so all of a sudden these countries that were not fully developed started trying to host the games. And what happened in the process is they discovered that um, they weren't as developed as they thought, and they needed much more transportation and security and hospitality infrastructure than they thought they needed. And they didn't have a mature enough governmental and administrative apparatus to handle it all efficiently. And so, yes, in the case of Sochi, they spent somewhere between $50 billion and $65 billion to host the Winter Games in 2014. In Beijing in 2008, they spent $45 billion dollars to host the games. The problem is that even though it's a nice-sounding thought that you would uh, help, help these developing countries emerge as, as significant world economy centers, it's a nice thought, they didn't have the wherewithal administratively or resource-wise or venue and infrastructure-wise. They didn't have the wherewithal to do it. And so it ends up being an even costlier and more disastrous effect.
0: So here's the other thing when you're when you're thinking about the Olympics here yeah it's that idea of after the fact like the Rio de Janeiro Olympics they get talked about a lot because all of these empty stadiums and things after the fact. Is that, is that a pretty common thing? Is it something that should be expected going forward?
1: It's very common. It, it, only, it only has been magnified several-fold in, in Rio. But, yes, whatever Olympic Games you go to, you find the problem of empty stadiums or, or white elephants or spending hundreds of millions of dollars to convert an Olympic stadium into something else that will uh, have, have marginal use. Uh, and he, here's the basic problem, without going into details, because I know we don't have much time, but the basic problem is this. The, the Summer Games requires a city to have 36 athletic venues. They require a city to have an Olympic village that has 17,000 beds for the athletes and their trainers. It requires an international media production center. It requires a media village where all the media people stay. So there's an enormous amount of construction. If you ask yourself the question, why was it, for a host city, why was it 17 days before the Olympics started that this city didn't need any of those venues? Then they have to build them for the Olympics, so they, they, they're used for 17 days. Why would it be now 17 days later that all of a sudden they have a use for these venues? It's very, very implausible. Now, it might be the case that the city was on the verge of needing a new soccer stadium, and so, okay, you can convert the Olympic Stadium into a soccer stadium, which, which is what they did in London. By the way, an additional cost of $400 million that was picked up by the public. But sometimes you can find a use. But more often than not, there's there's no use whatsoever or there's a very marginal use and you have to keep the stadium up. The the, the upkeep and maintenance of the stadium is, is, you know, 5 to $10 million per year depending on the stadium. So uh, unless there's some really terrific urban planning going on, uh, and I think there was in one case, in the case of Barcelona in 1992 – you get a tremendous amount of waste and white elephants and, and bad use of urban, scarce urban real estate and environmental degradation. You get one problem after another, unless there's really smart planning, and, and
0: unfortunately that just does does not usually exist. So we're talking with Andrew Zimbalist. He's the author of Circus Maximus, the economic gamble behind hosting the Olympics and the World Cup. And Andrew, uh, just a last question for you. So what we're hearing here at this point is that cities are putting billions of dollars into this to host an Olympics. You don't get anything close to that back. Maybe some guys in these committees that are making the pitch to land it. there, are getting some money to build this, the things around the Olympics. So with all this money that's being thrown around, like how much of this does the international Olympic committee take away from it?
1: So they, uh, here again, it's a little bit of a complicated story, but they get, uh, they, 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 Divide their their financial books into quadrenniums or four-year cycles, uh, during which you have one winter games and one on one summer games. During a quadrennium, they'll take in somewhere in the neighborhood of five or six billion dollars. The IOC, Um, and as I said, the host cities will get uh, if they're if they're hosting the summer games somewhere, typically in the neighborhood of four billion dollars, and the winter games somewhere two to two and a half billion dollars. the, the IOC uses the lion's share of their revenue to redistribute out to national Olympic committees and to international sports federations. Uh, they, they, they keep somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 percent of it for their own administrative expenses and, and other details. Uh, so that, that's basically what happens with the money.
0: Interesting. All right, well, Andrew, I appreciate you taking the time to stop by with us and share some information about what's been going on. It's been my pleasure. Absolutely. So, again, that's Andrew Zimbalist. You can find his book Circus Maximus, The Economic Gamble Behind Hosting the Olympics in the World Cup. And uh, that's for sale, so give it a look. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
1: I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road.